0: We're going to just scan through this and uh, pick out some highlights tonight, but I'll read the first few verses, so let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Please stand when you get to, to Jeremiah chapter 9. And beginning in verse 1, Jeremiah writes, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the door of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbour. And trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. And they will deceive everyone his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them, for how shall I do for the daughter of my people? May God bless his word. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the examples, the things that were written aforetime, uh, that were written for us, for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And Father, lest we think any portion of the Old Testament is... uh, Um, unimportant or not relative as so many are trying to push today Uh, on the contrary Father your word all word is given by inspiration of God it is profitable Father your word there's so many things here for us to learn and especially in the day we live I pray that you would give your people today encouragement from this text uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 and just be glorified Uh, Father help us Help us to bring honor to you. And we ask for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated. Have you Let's open our again back to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 9. And I want to... Re- I think it's on. Yeah, it is on. Okay? Try it again, testing one, two. Just when you turn around. Okay, all right. Thank you. When I turn around. Okay. <laughs> all right, Jeremiah chapter nine. Uh, again, just to, to rehearse, um, or one, one aspect, I want to remind you that uh, when you're reading Jeremiah, it is not chronological. And in the beginning, Uh, In fact, there's a lot of poetry in Jeremiah that um, is not present. Like when you read your, most of us, most of you probably, if you have a King James Bible, you're just reading it and it's verse after verse. There's something called the King James Paragraph Bible, which I just got that. And it's really neat because it it breaks it all down. And especially when I come to Jeremiah, I've been pulling out a lot because it shows you which verses are poetry, which ones are um, just, you know, statements and so forth, and uh, it helps to do that when you see that. But Jeremiah is kind of all over the place. Many people believe that he composed it, uh, putting pieces together from past literature, and, you know, he composed it later on, uh, so you're not necessarily sure. Um, A lot of people are speculating about this passage or that passage. Um, But right now, clearly, the beginning part is all... Pre captivity, warning the people of Judah if they don't repent, the northern this northern enemy, unknown or unnamed yet, ends up he'll name it in Jeremiah that Nebuchadnezzar, God's servant, is going to come down and and chastise. That's going to be God's means of chastising Israel, and then they're going to be brought into captivity in Babylon, and then Jeremiah is going to preach. Uh, a lot of the book of Jeremiah, a significant amount, is him preaching uh, to the people when they're in Babylon, and he's going to predict and, and really lay heavy into the fact that God is going to judge Babylon. Um, but right now, we we have this pre pre uh, you know invading invaders from the north, pre judgment, and uh, things are really bad. In fact, uh, the last few chapters. Uh, it seems pretty evident that God is indicating through Jeremiah that uh, the people will not, in fact, a play on word, I mentioned this sometime in the past, there's a play on the Hebrew word that's throughout Jeremiah, especially in these parts, and it's the word for turn. Turn to the Lord, repent, uh, or I'm, you're going you're to you know, go back, to, you're going to go into captivity. This is a word, this word turn, return, uh, repent is found much. Uh, and there comes a point where, and and we s- we saw that this was in the last chapter in this chapter, uh, it's it's it seems as if God is saying, okay, it's too late for you, and now He's going to address in G- in Jeremiah chapter nine, the condition of a city or a country in this case, I guess, uh, that whose people have forsaken the Lord and just done what they want going after pagan gods, Baal, and uh, it, it gets so bad. And it, it, we're going to, especially this first part of the text, we're going to look at three parts of the text. We're going to look at, in fact, let me just give you the outline as we focus. Here's the, here's the um, as I'm studying this book and going over this chapter, rather, and going over it and, and trying to pick out, because I can't, you know, I can't dissect each verse. And I, I got this theme uh, this saying of Jesus kept coming to my mind as I'm reading Jeremiah's words and God's words to Jeremiah, and he and basically it's it, the phrase from Jesus is found in Matthew chapter ten and verse seventeen, where Jesus is sending his disciples out, uh, preparing them for ministry, and he says this: "Beware of men." Or in in the idea is he's saying beware of people. He's not saying you know he's not misogynistic there and or rather the other way, I forget. He's not saying men are evil, women are good. He's saying, D- beware of people. Beware of people. Very cynical. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 17. Beware of men, mankind. For they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And when I'm reading through Jeremiah chapter 9, I'm getting the idea that he's saying, beware of people. Now, it's it's cynical, but uh, and, and, you know Jesus it, it, Jesus was not giving them a false promise of sweetness that their ministries were going you know they were going to be welcomed with open arms. In fact, in in another verse, later on in his ministry, before he would be betrayed and crucified, he was preparing his disciples about how bad things are getting and trying to get them somehow in a frame of mind that they would realize that they're no longer, as his disciples, they're not in friendly territory. They're in, in a hostile environment. In fact, one of my verses that so many people don't even, wouldn't even believe this is in the Bible. In Luke twenty two thirty six, 36, Jesus said unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script. And he, this is amazing. He that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one? Jesus said that? Like, the Prince of Peace said that? And it, 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 you know, it goes back to this, you know, the whole idea of the, the Second Amendment. It's almost like Jesus here is promoting the Second Amendment, that we have a right to defend ourselves. But I think of that statement that, some, that I heard someone say, making good people helpless does not make bad people harmless. In other words, there comes a time, folks, where you and I have to understand and not be gullible that we are in dangerous territory. And when Jesus told his disciples, beware of people, beware of men and women, beware. He's preparing them because the environment is going to get hostile. Now, you've got Jeremiah, pre-Babylon coming and invading, and the people are so evil, so self-centered, so wicked, Every man living for himself. The you know, prophets prophesying falsely, priests bearing rule by their means, and just really bad. And now he's telling them. Let's look at the first selection of verses here. Uh, verses 4. Uh, let's begin. In verse 2, we, we kind of ended. We, we snuck in verse 1 to the last chapter 8. So look at verse 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, like a hotel, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. They are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil. In other words, we would use the phrase, it's gone from bad to worse. That's the idea. And they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor. Here's the challenge. It's you know, this is, I just hear Jesus saying, Beware of men, beware of people. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Right there, just a, you know, the idea of every brother will supplant. In other words, they will, even, the, even your own brother will, will use you and take advantage of you. Every neighbor will walk with slanders. They'll slander one another. They'll think nothing of it. And they will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to commit iniquity. This is I mean, this is cynical, isn't it? I mentioned the word cynical this morning. Look at verse 6. Thine habitation, you're going to live in a place, is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them, for they shall, for how shall I do? Uh, it's like he's saying, What else can I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he lieth wait. And, of course, verse 9, God says, Shall I not visit, i.e., judge them? For these things saith the Lord, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Can you imagine living where things have gotten so bad that, that God is telling you, be on the just be careful? Be careful. You cannot trust people. And uh, clearly, there is, I think, a correlation. I think of another country, one that I grew up in, where when I was younger, I'm I'm that old, and and many of you are with me on this. If you, um, you'll in fact I th- I think young people hear this, and I I'm realizing now that it goes back to that you know that the past is a foreign country. They did things differently there. That's true for like when you're studying history, but even like just our youth, people will say this, and and I think I I heard that kids like. They don't believe it. We're, and you've heard, you've heard adults say this. We used to be able to leave our doors unlocked. We could leave our keys in the car. And young people hear that and they're like, what? There's no way. And it's true. Don't some of you remember that? Or was it just Westchester? Okay. Yeah, you do remember that. Where you really could do that. You can't do that anymore. Now, is that, is that just, oh, we're just being skeptical? It's what I think God was doing to Jeremiah and, and his people. He's, he's challenging them. You don't know who you can trust. Character, morality has taken a dive and you've got to be careful. In fact, the risk is being presented here is people at their worst. People at their worst. I... um came across a, a story, an illustration, a Civil War story, and my son-in-law is a Civil War buff, so I ran this by him just to, you know, check with Ethan to make sure it was okay. And he never heard the story, but he, um, it's about Nathan Bedford Forrest, and he, he said, he's the kind of guy, though, where that sounds like something that could have happened, but the story goes like this. It happened in late September 1864, where Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest was leading his troops north from uh, Decatur, Alabama, toward Nashville. But to make it to Nashville, he would have to to defeat the Union Army at Athens, Alabama. When the Union commander, Colonel Wallace Campbell, refused to surrender, here's apparently what what, uh, Forrest did. He asked for a personal meeting, and he took General Campbell on an inspection of his troops, so you know he came he just wanted to give him inspection of the troops and they 'd look at the troops and then they'd move on and as they moved on the troops would pack up and go to the next location and set everything up even with all the armament and then and then Forrest would you know enter with um, Forrest would enter with enter with Campbell and they 'd take a survey of the troops and see all that and and then they'd move on you know let 's go look at the next place and then the 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 camp would actually pack up and then travel, and apparently they did this for so long that he returned to his his, his base, and I guess that that Campbell apparently was so impressed that he surrendered right there, to, you know, and avoided the conflict because he was under the impression that he had this vast enemy. Now, if that happened, that would be some would call that that is brilliant, uh, you know, uh, maneuvering really great way for a general to avoid conflict, and it's true. But, of course, that's in the conditions of war. But I remind you, when things get so bad, things were so bad in Judah, people had stooped so low. I mean, notice and, and the, the, notice all the these are not generalization. Everybody slanders his neighbor. I mean, you, you see these broad sweeps that, that, that paint a very bleak picture. And when a nation has descended into the pit of wickedness, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. When it just becomes so bad, it is a dangerous place to live. And clearly, that is happening in our country. I'm convinced of it. I remember years ago, um, doing a message. I think I called it the church. Safe haven or mission field. And it was a a time in in my ministry when I was realizing, um, you know, a lot of people would come to church, and and I've heard this so many times. People say, you know, I'm closer to my church family than I am my own family. And it's very easy in a in a church where there where there's love to for people to let their guard down. And when I did that, I wanted them to realize that the idea of apostasy, there are those who creep in unawares. You've got to be careful. Yes, the church can be a sweet refuge. But always keep in mind that it is also a mission field. You you should never let your guard down so much and this has happened many times. Where because someone comes to church, and sits through the messages, other people will think they are on the same page with us. They believe the same thing. They worship God, and they may be as unbelieving as they come. And I think that is a, a you know a lesson for us. And that's I shared this Wednesday, but I didn't have the direct quote with me, with me, so I want to share it now because um, the word crucible. In fact, in fact, look at this, because God even says in, uh, in Jeremiah, he says in verse 7, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and will try them, for how shall I do for the daughter of my people? In other words, what else can I do? And this is a picture of refining. We mentioned, I think it was last week in Jeremiah 8, where he really paints that and talks about the, the refining. And here it is again. And and a crucible is a vessel where things are refined. It gets heated up incredibly, and then they'll put metals in there, either to purge the impurities or chemicals. And so a crucible is whatever vessel things are tested in. So it's fiery trials, and they're going to come. And that's exactly, and here's this quote. There was a pastor, I think he's still alive actually, Uh, Pastor Al Martin was a pastor in... uh, in Montville, New Jersey, Trinity Baptist Church. I believe he's retired now, but uh, but uh, held so highly in esteem, his peers, everybody. And uh, this book that I just started reading gives this in the in the preface about him. He says, for nearly five decades, talking about Pastor Martin, for nearly five decades, he both taught and faithfully demonstrated how pastors should discharge their duties in the crucible of the local church. And I remember reading that and thinking, I've never heard the church called a crucible. But for a pastor, you know, it it, it can be. And, and, you know, this man spent almost five decades, I, I love this saying, again, faithfully demonstrating how pastors should discharge their duties in the crucible of the local church. And I've come to realize that Every one of us have different crucibles that God has put us in. There are things, being a pastor, uh, that other people do not have to experience that are severe testing. Just like in your life, there's different crucibles. I thought of Peg Willie and mentioned her on Wednesday. Peg lived, she was going to be, how old was she going to be? 96 later this month, right? The 24th? She was going to be twenty. Uh, twenty. She was going to be ninety-six, and if you know Peg, it got to be a challenge towards the end. But you know what? I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it to that. She's. She had to go through a crucible, uh, and, and praise God. I I told Skip this week about Peg, and he immediately said, "Praise the Lord!" You know, he just he just when somebody dies that's a believer, he gets so excited, and well, he should. He said, "He said, praise the Lord. She's rejoicing in glory, and that's exactly right. That is exactly she. She's done that crucible. I don't know what your crucible is. Uh, I, I know of um, wives whose crucible is their husband, and husband whose crucible is their wife. You know, I mean, there's just there's different crucibles where there are fiery trials which come that God has ordained, and here, God is telling." Jeremiah and others, you know, that want to please the Lord, that just living in in your society is going to be a crucible. That just living among the people you're living with is going to be a challenge. It's going to be. You're going to see people at their worst. And if America doesn't repent and turn to God, it's not going to get better. And the scriptures talk about things are going to get worse and worse. Generally in the world, but certainly if America does not turn to God, it's not going to get any better. Second, so first we have the risk, people at their worst. Then we have the reason. Look at verse twelve and following. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who, excuse me, who is the, a wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken that he may declare it? For what the land perisheth, and is burned up like a wilderness, that none passeth through. The Lord saith, because, and in other words, why is this happening? It'd be like us saying, what is happening to our country? And by the way, uh, that's a song I've sung, and some of you have sung. I read another quote, uh, something to this effect that, that I've also been, the Lord's been dealing with. Um, what is it? Pining for the past will not fix the future. And that is very good. In other words, we can spend a lot of time just saying, oh, it's not like it used to be. Wow, things are bad. I remember. It. And we can do that to agree. But you know what? Doing that isn't going to change anything. So, look again. He says, um, why is it like this? Verse 13. Jeremiah nine thirteen. The Lord saith, because they have forsaken My law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed My voice, neither walk therein, but have walked after the imagination of their heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them." So God is talking about consequences. You know, if you, if you just jump into a, per, um, a certain passage of Scripture without considering the context or learning the context, it would be very easy to be misled. Like if you, jumped, if you opened your Bible one night for a Bible study, and you jumped into this portion or other portions of Jeremiah, and then tomorrow you just open your Bible at the book of Job and jumped into some of that, you might think, wow, they're so similar. Because God is talking about consequences. And when you go to Job, you may read some of Job's friends who basically said the same thing to Job. But there's a difference. They were wrong. Job was a man of God. And and God was testing Job for a whole different purpose. But here, they were experiencing the consequences of their actions. They, they, God is telling them in fact to go back because of, um, why verse 13 because they have forsaken my law which I set before them and I want to ask you something is this just you know focus God's focus is on rules and restrictions you got to stay in the line you got to don't go don't do this don't do that don't do this and that God is just this severe God who's almost like anticipating eagerly that we would mess up and step out of the lines so He can zap us. If you have that perspective of God, you're way off. I want to remind you, someone came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, and uh, not having sincere motives, he gave Jesus a trick question. This guy was a lawyer, uh, uh, authority on the law. Remember, when you hear lawyer in the Bible... Uh, they were lawyers of the law of God. They were, you know, they knew the law of God. It wasn't like lawyers today, and, and that, and uh, so this one asked him a question, tempting him, and he said, "Master, which is the great commandment in the law?" And Jesus said unto him, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, mind rather. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." Now, he he knew this man's heart. He knew that he was trying to trip him up. And so Jesus summarizes by giving the the first, you know, the, the, the two primary points of the law. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this in verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. In other words, God is not focused on, all right, you stepped out of line, you're going to pay the consequences. God is looking for our heart. And he did not have the heart of the people of Judah. And he wants our heart. And and sometimes people can get so distracted, they can lose sight of why we are in this Christian life. It's not so we can sit there like the Pharisees and just pick apart everyone else's life and sit up on our throne casting condemnation so we feel good. Christianity, folks, is about loving God. Why do we follow His law? Because we love Him. And and remember, the whole purpose, if you love God, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. Now, get the difference... I've used the example before, and I'll just bring it up again. Um, If you're in a loving relationship with your spouse, I remember first getting married and having to realize that, no, it's not I'm being free from my parents and whatever their quirks were, I'm finally free. Now I've got this other person that has quirks. And I have quirks. And you see this, and and one of the biggest things is I began to realize that... um, I already knew I was a little OCD, and my wife was OCD. And we, you know, we had these little things. And at first, it was like, well, well, why should I do that? But then I began to realize, because I love this woman, she loves me, we find out what one another's quirks are. I mentioned, you know, there's a whole routine that I've been doing for decades. I don't even think about it. You know, little things like spraying the shower after you're done this. She's got this, you know, I, I'm going to, don't you hold my wife, again, don't you hold the eggs against my wife. Uh, you know, like spraying the shower and you know all these little things to help things, the world become clean in our house. And at first it might have been a little grievous, but I love my wife. And, and I do them I now so much, I don't even think about it. They're not grievous. And that's the idea with God. You know, if you're struggling with following God's Word and the things that God wants, and you're looking at it only in the form of legalism on being condemned... Oh, this is so hard. Why do I have to do this? Do you love God? Do you want to, just, do, you want to do the things that please the Lord? And, and, and the greatest commandment, in fact, all the other ones they hang on this, love the Lord with all your heart. And by the way, if you do that, it's going to affect the way you love your neighbor. And all the laws are based upon either loving God or loving your neighbor. Being selfless. Love. And and that's the key. And that's what Judah was not doing. They had walked away from their relationship with the Lord and they're following Balaam. We talked last week about how how well that went down on the the showdown on Mount Carmel. Remember that? There is no Baal. Those silly prophets were, were getting themselves all worked up, crying out to nothing. It wasn't that they're small g God was asleep. And, 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 you know, there's a little play there where the prophet mocks them, but there is no God. Balaam, uh, Ashtaroth, all those gods, they're, they're false gods. Yahweh is the real God. And he wants a relationship with his people. But too many times, we get sidetracked. I, I heard the story of a two, this was back a century or two, more than a century ago and apparently there were two paddle boats that left Memphis about the same time traveling down the Mississippi Mississippi River to New Orleans and as they got side by side the sailors from each ship started to taunt one another "Ah, you're going so slow turtles pacing you know they started to get uh, you know challenging one another both of them were cargo you know cargo paddle boats They they had things they had to Bring to it to the to the location, but they started competing, and they they you know see who can go the fastest. And of course, it required a lot of coal, and they had each of them had enough coal for the trip to make it to the destination. But they did not have enough coal to do a race if you're going to go as fast as you can. So pretty soon, both both ships ran out of coal. And one of the soldiers in one of the ships looked at the cargo and got an idea and thought, hey, you know what, that might burn. And he started putting the cargo in, and it burned just as good as coal. And so they started, and then the other one found it. And so they, they both of them apparently, like, they just, they burned up all their cargo. And when they got there, one of them won. But you know what? They had No cargo. <laughs> And can you imagine having the answer for that? This, the cargo belonged to someone else. You had a job to do. And they lost sight of that. Now you know, you and I have a job to do here. We are stewards of the Gospel. We are stewards of our families. We are stewards of everything. And if you and I lose sight of that on this little race in our lives, we may sacrifice what means the most. And that's really kind of what happened to Judah. God, when he sent them into the promised land, he even knew ahead of time and warned them in Deuteronomy, listen, I do not want you to follow their gods. I want you to devote yourself to me. And, of course, they failed. Look at verse 17. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider ye and call for the mourning women. Those, you know, the women that Back in, and this is still true today in other cultures, where, where they, they would literally hire people, women, to, to lament and wail for a long period of time than when people died. And that's what he's saying. Call for the professional mourning women, uh, that they may come and send for cunning women, that's women that are trained in this area of, of that, that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids gush out with waters. In other words, there's a time to rejoice and there's a time to grieve. And this was when Judah should have been mourning. I mean, it should have been official where they actually hire professional mourners to come. Uh, Get the sackcloth, get the ashes, all those external things, but basically get your heart right with God. You should be broken over these things. And of course, they were not. So now we look at the resolution. So let me again go over it uh, it with you. First we saw the risk. You're living with people at the worst state. Then we see the reason. uh, Verses 12-16. through People are not right with God. And then we see the resolution. Look at verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. When you take your eyes off the Lord, what else do you have? The things of this life. The things that Solomon pursued with abandon uh, under the sun. Verse 24. So so again, verse 23. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but, verse 24... Let him that glory, gloryeth, let, let him that gloryeth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. God's saying, I just want you to delight in me. We have a relationship. We're in a covenant relationship. You and me, and you're not, you have just forsaken that. And how sad it is. Had a conversation recently um, thinking of religious people and and certain ones that we knew um, that um, were very focused on checking all the boxes. You know, and that went religion will do that. You know, make sure you go to church, make sure you keep the commandments or the, the ordinances of the sacraments or whatever, and make sure you do that, make sure you pray, make sure you check all the boxes. And, uh, it's, and and because of that, externally, you can do a lot of the right stuff. But as we were talking about that, we noted that there was real new, no love. No love. Uh, we were talking about children. We, we noticed that um, sometimes it's very easy for older people and, and people, you know, once you get into adulthood... To start dismissing young people uh, and and elevating your peers to a point where you don't have time to bother with with little people. What can what can they give you? In fact, that happened in Mark chapter 10. Remember the young people came to Jesus and he was seeing them, and the disciples got all upset, and they forbid the young people, and Jesus talked about that and really rebuked them. Um But but when you and I have a relationship with God. He gives us a genuine love for people. It's not all about checking the boxes. It's about loving Him and loving people and, and wanting, wanting to please Him. Not because it's this strict law like rules and regulations and legalistically follow the Lord. No, it's because we love the Lord. We want to we please Him. I close with this. When we were visiting our son, uh, during his graduation from the Army, we we met a dear, precious Mexican family whose daughter was in Garrett's um, brigade. I think that's it. And I had a meal with this family, and and one of the sisters shared this story. Her and her husband uh, wanted to have children, and God blessed them. And uh, she became pregnant and they rejoiced. And they were excited about the birth of their little child. I believe it was a boy. And when they went in for their regular checkup and their ultrasound at five months, the doctors came to them and said, um, We don't know how to tell you this, but uh, your, your baby's not developing properly. Their entire uh, shoulder and upper torso is not there. And their lungs, his lungs... Are in the wrong place, and of course, as so many do today, uh, they said, "You know, if you if you want to abort him, this would be the time to think about it." And that's that's like the go-to thing for people today. Why have a baby that would be problems for you? And uh, probably a lot of families would have done that today. And thankfully, because of their Christian conviction, they said, "No, there's no way we're doing that." And they began to pray and pray. And pray. They prayed that God would give them a healthy baby, a healthy child. And then the, she said this, uh, the mom after, she said, um, we prayed that for quite some time. And she said, and all of a sudden it dawned on my husband and I that we were praying completely wrong. We were praying that God would give us a healthy baby. And then we realized that's not what God wants us to pray. And so they changed their prayer. This is amazing. And they prayed that God, God's will would be done and that he would give them grace to handle whatever is ahead in the care for this child. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? Just so awesome. And, uh, and that's the way they prayed. God, w- w- whatever we want your will to be done and whatever it is, just give us the grace to meet the needs and be the best parents we can. And the baby was born completely healthy. No problems. How many times today that would happen and human life is not cherished because people do not realize that human beings are created in the image of God. They have value. All of them. Well, Judah had lost sight as well. Things were pretty tough. Things were bad. And I close with this. Uh, I came across this a couple years ago and I've used this quote a lot. I don't think I quote George Washington ever except for this quote. You know, Uh, But it's a good quote. And from what I read about George Washington, he was a man of integrity. And if you've bought the lie that, well, he owned slaves, I want to remind you, the past is a different country. They do things differently there. You're going to condemn people in a different context, when you don't study that context, you are being foolish. He was apparently a very godly man. But here's, here's his quote, and I love this, and it's about friendship. And this probably would have been a great quote, quote for the people of Judah. You remember, remember the first few verses? Like, Don't trust anyone. Beware of people. Here's what he said again. He said, Be courteous to all, but intimate with few. And let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. True friendship is a plant of slow growth and must undergo and withstand the shocks of adversity. By the way, any genuine relationship that you had, any friendship that's going to stand the test of time has got to go through the crucible of adversity. There's another crucible. Friendship. Relationship. Church. You become friends in church. And if you'll stick it out and let that adversity, let it mold you and grow you, you'll find the best friends you've ever had. And unfortunately, too many people abandon ship because they don't want to go through that adversity and allow themselves to be tested. So again, he says, True friendship is a plant of slow growth and must undergo and withstand the shocks of adversity before it is entitled to the appellation. Good stuff. So today, what's the takeaway for us? Just folks, let's realize that we are in a time where people are not right with God, and we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We have to love people to Christ, but even in the church, we have to realize that not everybody is born again and not everybody's walking with the Lord. And that's why they all of us have to go through that adversity. You come out on the other side and you'll have friendships for life. We have that here. We, we really do. I mean, some of the best relationships. Unfortunately, there's this stupid thing called death. And all our dear friends, you know, keep leaving us. But it's such a blessing to walk with them up to the, other, to the shore and see them cross the other side. And We have had so many precious friendships, have we not? We have been blessed. And they're all waiting for us in glory, and I can't wait to get there. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us to learn from Jeremiah chapter 9. Help us to beware of people. Lord, help us to do that without getting cynical, uh, but help us not to be gullible. Help us to just have that proper balance. Uh, Realize that yes, the church is a safe haven, but it also is a sort of mission field. And I pray, Father, that we would um, just learn the lessons and read these things in the New Testament and and apply them to whatever we need to today in the right way by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand.